Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to this Monday night uh, edition of the Old Dominion Libertarian. Uh, this is Joe and Rusty joining you tonight with Jeff Clev and Jeffrey Stanford. And we'll have hey, Andy Joe. Craig joining us in just a moment. How are you? Good evening, Joe. Doing great. Doing great. Happy Easter. You had a good one? Yes. Very good Easter. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, how'd y'all uh, like the the uh, hullabaloo over the the posting that attribute a very fundamental liberty principle to Satan over the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> y'all see well, that? Well, yeah, you mean the, the 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 post on the Libertarian Party Facebook page? Yeah, boy, that brought up the biggest worst than everybody, huh? Well, here, here's, I'm going to give you my take on that right away. My take is, um, who's, who's making all that noise? I just tripped oh, wow. and fell. I'm sorry. It was me. 
But if you if you didn't if you didn't break a leg or anything like that, then you have no right to complain. Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm gonna walk it off. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. So anyway, my take on that whole thing with the Libertarian Party Facebook page is that the the people who are making a big fuss about oh no they're endorsing Satan and this and that. Um, they're not. It's not even really a group about Satan. That's just a name they picked to be provocative. But second of all, I don't really think they should have done memes based on religion. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? I mean, they were trying to make a point. I think the people that have left the Libertarian Party over it and have gone to the Constitution Party, they don't know anything about the Constitution or they wouldn't be there. But you know that's <laughs> true. That that that's my take on the whole thing. Um, it created a firestorm, and uh, it, it's not likely to go away anytime soon. But you know we'll we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I just have a know, hard time getting worked up over it myself. You know, you read the, the quote. I just read it for the first time. And it's like, okay, so uh, what's the big deal? You know, that's fairly true libertarian principle, regardless who said it. I know, I know. I mean, I mean, I I think part of the problem with the people who dislike it is that it was brought up on Good Friday, and it's like right, the timing. You know, the, the the timing was wrong. Everything was wrong. But you could have uh, you could have eliminated every problem if you had never posted it in the first place. But I'm hearing all sorts of things like there were people on the LNC that um, weren't doing their job, and they're supposed to review these things before they go out and and all that. So I don't really know. I I don't know what what the whole story is. I, I my inclination is to let it blow over, and the people who leave the party. And and don't come back, you know. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right. That, sorry, that, that, but, they, never, yeah. they weren't ever. They, they didn't understand. They don't understand the importance of, of of the correctness of the of the sentiment being expressed in the meme. You know, and you don't appreciate that enough to appreciate the, the you know to at least you know understand the parts of being able to you know post that kind of stuff. Then, uh, then they weren't really libertarians to begin with. Well, you know the exactly, the, the, the exactly. Constitu- the, the, the Constitution Party put out a statement saying the Libertarian Party endorsed the killing of babies, and now they've and now they're endorsing Satan. And it's like, uh, you know, they'll do anything. They'll take any opportunity and, and run with it, even if they have to lie. So well, what just, about the majority know, of people who realize that Satan doesn't even exist? You know, what if people don't even believe in Satan either way? So, I think it's stupid. Well, they've got they've got a they've got a lot. I'll put it I'll put it this The man made creation. The man made creation. Just you're going to be in for a rude awakening one day. Well, I, I was married to I was married to his daughter for several years, so. Uh. So you're not afraid of it, right? 
But I just think it was a big deal over nothing. And most people who are libertarian, um, a true libertarian, if somebody did, you know, belong to the church of Satan, if there is such a thing, or somebody was a Pentecostal or somebody was a Baptist or somebody was a Muslim or a Jew, a true libertarian really wouldn't give a damn either way. As long as they weren't trying to prevent somebody from exercising their religion freely or trying to push their religion on somebody else. Well, no. Well, this is just what this boils down to is it's, it's a bunch of safe space snowflakes who <laughs> snowflakes. cannot hand, cannot cannot handle something that they don't agree with, and that's about as unlibertarian as you can get. I get the PR side of it, and I get that it probably shouldn't. If it was going to go out at all, it probably shouldn't have gone out this weekend. But what's done is done, you know. <laughs> We're probably spending more time on it on the show tonight than I wanted to, but, you know, it did need to be discussed, so I, I guess, it, you know, we've, we've done so. Our guest tonight on the program is um, Dick Cheatham, who is a local Richmond Liberty activist. He's been involved in the Liberty Movement for a number of years. Um, uh, I, I can't say how many, and he may want to talk to you about that later, but I know he's been involved in the Liberty Movement since before I was even born, so that's how long he's been fighting for this stuff, and, uh, you know, he's been doing an excellent job. He's well-known in the area, and, in fact, probably well-known all over the United States for the things that he's done, and right now I'm going to bring on Mr. Cheatham um, to talk with us. He's got a few topics he wants to discuss with us tonight, so um, I'm going to unmute his mic here. Um, good, good evening, Dick. How are you tonight? Hey, Joe. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you great. Uh, thank you uh, very much for having me on. Um, remind me again who I'm talking with. Is it uh, Jeff and Jeffrey and Andy? Well, Andy's not here yet, but it's Jeff and Jeffrey and me. Okay, great, great. Uh, uh, Jeff and Jeffrey, I, I'd better uh, tell something on Joe. Uh, uh, may I may I tell you about what what Joe did? Go for it, please. He made the the uh, uh, the severe mistake of inviting me to talk for as long as I wanted about anything I wanted to talk about. That's because you're high-status and long-ranking, oh, hard-working, hard. You, you're, the show is yours, Dick. Well, well, uh, my, um, uh, uh, Patty, my wife, uh, uh, um, uh, likes one of the T-shirts that I've got. It's, uh, it says, uh, uh, I'm a professional, help, I'm, uh, I'm a professional speaker, and I, I can't shut up. So uh, that is often the case with me. I, I, I'll try to keep my comments uh, reasonable and reasonably short. But um, uh, okay. among the things I, I I thought I'd mention tonight are, are several things that mean a lot to me um, and to Patty too. As a matter of fact, this particular first one, um, she and I uh, are both advocates of individual liberty and the free market, and have been uh, I have been for a very long time. Joe was kind in not telling you how many decades uh, I've been interested in these these ideas. But um, uh, Patty, my wife, is a chef. And in recent years, she has uh, adjusted her cooking to accommodate uh, 
uh, healthy eating and um, nutrient-dense food and so forth. Um, she did not start that way when she went to Culinary Institute years ago out in Oregon, but she has, out of necessity, shifted uh, into that direction. And that has brought us into contact with a guy here in Virginia that I really consider to be a living hero. He is a libertarian. Um, he is a farmer. Uh, many of you, uh, uh, anyone who's listening may have heard his name. His name is Joel Salatin, S-A-L-A-T-I-N. And his farm is Polyface Farm, B-O-L-Y-F-A-C-E. It's up in the Valley of Virginia. It's not but a couple of miles, a few miles outside of Stanton. And Joel is uh, an extraordinary guy. He's got some revolutionary methods of farming that, um, involve uh, natural processes. He's not one of those who is inclined to use industrial factory type uh, methods. And um, anyway, to give you some idea of what his political perspective is, he one of his uh, 10 books that he's written at this point is entitled, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. And yeah. um, it, it is a great book that really has to do with farming when he was a kid and farming now in in 2017 and how it has changed and things that were perfectly legal many years ago and produced very uh, safe and uh, nutrient-dense foods are literally uh, illegal to produce now. It, um, the regulations that have been, posed, been imposed in the last oh, couple of decades have radically changed um, the production of food. And uh, it has been skewed in the direction of, of, of uh, large corporate industrial farms and at the expense of uh, local farmers to do what they think is right and so forth. Um, anyway, uh, Patty is involved in a project with Joel that uh, would be a, a revolution in um, smoked meats. Um, what Patty wants to do with the meat that Joel is producing on his farm um, is uh, is phenomenal. I, I, I've eaten this stuff, and it is the best stuff I've ever eaten. Uh, but I'm not a. I'm, of course, I'm a partisan uh, person in, in telling you that. But uh, Joel thinks so as well. And uh, anyway, in order to do things the way we want to do them, um, we have to get around the law. We can't go through the law. We uh, tried this several years ago and hit a, a, a regulatory roadblock and lost a lot of money uh, about two or three years ago. Uh, but we're going to do it again with the help of a group that I really would like um, your listeners to know about, and that is the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. If you don't know about this group, uh, I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, it is a group of libertarian lawyers who take on cases that uh, uh, allow farmers to do uh, uh, what they want to do uh, that is safe uh, and and provides good food, and it provides um, consumers to consume the food they want. And I'm talking about things that might fall into the category of, of raw milk, for example. But, but there's so many, many other uh, aspects to this that it's worth looking into. So I, I highly encourage uh, your listeners to, to look in. Uh, I probably ought to uh, slow down for a minute and let, let you all comment. Is this the? Uh, I just want to know is, is is that the farm that was involved um, 
There was some kind no, of no, local government of dispute. Benita. Okay, uh, never yeah, mind. My bad. No, no, that's fine. Uh, Joe mentioned that Martha was on the program some time ago. Um, Martha's a friend. We know her uh, quite well, and, and she and Joel know each other. It, there's a network of people uh, in the, the Virginia area who, who know each other and are all fighting for uh, farmers to be able to use their, their property in the way they think uh, uh, right. As long as they're not harming anybody uh, and, and causing any problems, what, why should they be stopped from doing what they want to do? And that means, in Martha's case, having a, a birthday party for little kids on her farm, or in Joel's case, uh, producing uh, products that he's selling to his neighbors uh, um, uh, the, the way he wants to sell them and the way they want to buy them. I was thinking of the lady in yeah. Faulkner County, and you're talking about somebody That's, out near Stanton, so I have the wrong place. Yeah, Mark, Mark, Martha Benita is the woman from Faulkner County. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, and um, but uh, Dick, I wanted to say one thing: that the the argument that um, government in quotes makes to someone like Joel Salatin is you can't guarantee that what you're selling those people is safe. Well, um, I can tell you another thing. Um, the FDA and the United States Department of Agriculture can't guarantee that either. And that, that's, that's been proven by numerous cases where uh, uh, a government-inspected food has, has uh, uh, produced exceedingly bad problems. So there is no absolute guarantee of anything. Um, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the illusions of government regulation, that uh, when government regulates, uh, you are safe. Well, not really. You're not absolutely safe, and um, some would make the case that the ultimate regulators, the, the regulators who are the most careful about uh, what uh, they're buying, are those who have skin in the game, and they are the consumers. Uh, a regulator, a government regulator, is a paid employee, and many, many things get by those folks. Um, I, I am not a very good um, uh, spokesman for this particular issue, but like I, I was uh, recommending Joel's book, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal is a perfect um, litany of, of uh, problems in this very category. Uh, Joel, Joel's book will uh, likely convince you that uh, you don't get better protection when government regulators regulate you, and he'll prove that with uh, numerous cases. Can you tell us anything more? First of all, you said smoked meats, and then you said stuff and products. And I'm like, is sausage or what are you making over there? Can you give us a hint? Uh, uh, beef uh, jerky. Mm. <laughs> uh, jerky. She is going to she's going to make other things too uh, over a period of time uh, if if we can legally get this thing going, but um, but the the uh, first product the the thing we'll start with is a beef jerky that is made uh, basically uh, upon old uh, Cherokee uh, methods. Patty's grandmother was half Cherokee and and she passed on to Patty a number of of. Uh, 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 a antique methods. I mean, these are classic uh, native uh, methods of preserving the meat and smoking it and so forth. Um, there's nothing in it like uh, coloring, um, uh, uh, pesticides, uh, uh, GMOs, uh, MSG. There's nothing in it like that at all. And um, it, it, uh, it it's a nutrient-dense product. Um, 
anyway, uh, there is a way to, uh, of going around uh, the, the law instead of going through it. If you were to sell those things directly to the public, the, the FDA and the USDA and other government agencies claim the right to, um, to tell you to produce them this way or that way and to put this in it and that in it. Well, fine, but if you do it uh, uh, in a different way, uh, a way that has been uh, developed by the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, and we're, we're going to be the test case on this whole issue, um, uh, I, hope, I hope we went on it, um, if you do it in a different way whereby you're not owning the meat at all, but you are providing a service to the people who own it, uh, then that's legal. I mean, it's accomplishing the same goal, but it is doing it in a, in a way that, that uh, circumvents the restrictions of the law. Excellent. <clears throat> Excellent. So uh, if you can apply that to the employment aspect. Say you, you know, the regulators of employment say you can't hire this person without a license. Um, you can't, she can't work and earn a living without a license. So there's a regulator come in and shut you down if you have this particular qualified person, but unlicensed. Form of the service of some sort. Can you right. apply that scenario that you're talking about for producing a particular process on a meat to an employment scenario for me? Maybe give me another idea of how we get around some of these employment-related problems? I, I, I wish I were the expert on that and could help, but I can tell you that the people who could help are uh, these uh, lawyers from the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. They are the the gurus on this particular um, question. They they are um, very skilled at at looking at the law, um, looking at at cases that have been brought uh, before the courts and so forth over over a long long period of time, and coming up with uh, creative ways of getting around things. I mean, it's it's very similar to what has been done uh, with regard to buying raw milk. I mean, you can be a, a for or against it, you know, it, that's fine. But but if you want to drink raw milk, if you think that, that you know the farmer and know the, the practices of this farmer and want to be able to, to, to drink raw milk, uh, that's illegal uh, to do if you buy it. You, you can't buy and sell it in the state of Virginia. Uh, it, of course, it varies from state to state. But um, here's what you can do. Uh, and and the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund has come up with this sort of thing. Uh, you can go to the farmer and say, I want to buy a cow, or I want to buy a share in a cow. Let's, uh, you know, 20 of my friends and I are going to buy this cow. And so you buy a cow share or you buy a herd share, and it is perfectly legal in Virginia to then go and drink the milk of your cow. So what you do uh, is you pay, you, you, you pay a, a small amount of money to own a piece of a cow or a herd of, a, of cattle, and, and then you pay a monthly fee, and, uh, and in essence, what you're, in theory, I should say, what you're doing is paying the, the farmer to take care of your cow. But what you're doing is buying raw milk. It, 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 it is a, it, it is, that, this is the sort of thing that these, um, these guys at the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund do. It is brilliant. They, they find ways of getting around the law, and they're tested in court. And if you have a problem, they go to court for you. So I, mean, hmm. it's, uh, I highly recommend uh, looking them up. It's really a good organization. Yeah, well, that's good. Like yeah, no, I've heard about them before. We've heard some good things about them. They do a lot of good work. 
Yeah, and they're pretty much active all around the country, and it's a membership organization that you know you can you can join for a few dollars, and um, I mean, or support them in any way you want. Um, but um, I encourage your listeners at least to to check them out and and see if they might be something that that they'd want to support. I did a little yeah, checking so. up on you there, Dick, real quick before the show. And one question I wanted to get in here before I lose the opportunity, something else takes the stage, but was how your study of history affects your libertarian understandings. How important is history to you in understanding what liberty means? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, uh, I, I appreciate you asking that. Um, uh, let me see if I can answer it in this way. I came to my appreciation for uh, liberty, individual liberty, the free market, by uh, uh, observing humans live their lives. Uh, uh, the very first thought that I can remember having as just a tiny little tot was, why did the adult do that? And I think I was being fed by my mom from one side. Every day I would get my food from one side, and then all of a sudden I got food stuck in my face from the other side, and I, and, and I didn't verbalize it, but I thought, why did the adult do that? And so from I can remember from that point on, I, I wondered why do people do stuff, like uh, whatever they do, what, and especially the, the things that seem unusual. So um, that really took me into an interest um, in history, and um, I, I began to wonder why uh, historic events took place and why people did the seemingly silly things they, they did. And, and, and the more I understood people and human nature, the more I began to, to realize why things happen as they do. Uh, things go right, things go wrong, uh, that's fine. But, but then I began to, to um, um, realize that, uh, you know, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you is not a bad idea that's that's a pretty sound idea uh, you want them to treat you with respect and not hit you and and cause you problems well don't initiate those things don't start doing those things to people and this um, interest that I had uh, have now and have had for many years in liberty really came from that um, it was just observing people um, uh, and understanding that uh, you treat them fairly, and you don't aggress against them, and everything's fine. Even if they choose to do things in a different way or or have values that are not identical to yours, that's okay. As long as they're not hurting anyone, what's the what's the big deal? Tolerance of, of diversity, uh, a laissez-faire attitude, and that brings you right into the classical liberal movement, which is – uh, you could, and you know, you could say that was the libertarian movement, and in, in, um, in other terms, uh, that that drew me into liberty. Uh, I I think the the thing that pushed me over the edge on this was when I was at college. Uh, I went to a, I was already uh, calling myself a conservative in those days. I don't anymore. I call myself a libertarian in in uh, general terms. Um, uh, I, uh, but the thing that pushed me over the edge was when I was in college at Virginia Military Institute. I graduated there. Uh, I read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And I just, my, I was spinning uh, for about a month uh, intellectually and, and thinking about the ideas of, of liberty and, and freedom and, and the free market and all that. And I also uh, then be, uh, discovered a number of other liberty-related organizations, actually, which I'd touched um, even in high school, 
here in Richmond in the in the late 1960s, and that is an organization I told Joe I wanted to mention tonight too, and that is Foundation for Economic Education (FEE). Um, they had an office, or they had their offices up in uh, New York, uh, uh, Irvington on the Hudson, I think it was, but and they've now moved down to Atlanta. Um, and that organization, um, I think, initiated by people like Leonard Reed and others, uh, brought together a lot of uh, Austrian school e- economists and, and did some extraordinary work. I mean, I, as a young person, I was really uh, excited about what I learned through uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. And to bring that home a little bit, I told Joe on the phone earlier that fee um, uh, is for the first time, going to be setting up a booth at a major um, Christian homeschool educators conference here in Richmond in June, uh, first half of June. Uh, there'll be twelve to 15,000 people, uh, well, I, I, no, I won't say people, I'll say <laughs> homeschool families represented, and Fee is going to be setting up a booth uh, because they've got a um, – a initiative right now uh, that they want to educate young people with the ideas of liberty. I mean, uh, you and I all know that liberty is a good idea for anybody at any age, but, uh, you know, when you get on in in years, sometimes you're set in your ways, and it's harder to convince uh, somebody who is perhaps 40, 50, 60, 70 years old uh, that they've been wrong all their life uh, than it is to convince a young person that individual liberty and the free market are a good idea when they're young and have not yet been affected by many years of government education. Wow. What a bonus. Absolutely. Um, uh, by the way, I'm not a real advocate of uh, government schools. Good. <laughs> well, I told you, know, I've got a, I, I, look, my, I went to public school. My, my, all my children have gone to public school. You know, we got educated. We got good at well-educated, you know. But and so here's my question for that. You know, you don't have to be a fan of government schools, but for those who don't have access to education, what do you recommend? Yeah, uh, um, thank you for the question. And, and I will be, I'll tell you also that um, I am a product of government schools, uh, uh, elementary, middle, uh, high school, I mean, Virginia Military Institute. Good golly, uh, I'm a I'm a product of government schools, but I, um, I will say that uh, any system in which uh, the uh, any economic system in which the customer is legally disempowered from transferring his uh, his patronage, meaning money, from a bad supplier to a good one, is certainly not going to be a system that that uh, serves the customer as well as the customer could be served. As long as you're taxing people, whether they like it or not, and whether they use the service or not, uh, the customer is not going to get an education uh, that that they, they might want. Now, to your question as to how do you get an education uh, beyond that and outside of that, since they steal your money uh, up front to pay for the government system, um, it, if you want a degree, that's one thing. If you want a piece of paper saying you're educated, that's one thing. If you want an hmm. education and not a piece of paper, then that's a different thing altogether. 
there are some wonderful resources that are absolutely at no cost to the people who um, who in, uh, who uh, take advantage of them, such as uh, uh, Khan Academy. Um, look that up uh, when you have a chance. K H A N Academy. It it has free courses or courses. Uh, they're not free. Uh, somebody's donating. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch, but the, those who want the courses don't pay, necessarily have to pay a penny for them. Um, um, and that goes from uh, elementary, uh, kindergarten level, all the way up through high school and beyond. Um, MIT, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, has all of its coursework online. You can get the full MIT uh, education uh at no cost, at no price, you don't pay them a penny unless you want the piece of paper that says you're educated and you want a degree. Then you've got to pay the full price. But if you want the education, and, and those are just two examples of many dozens of, of uh, places where if a person wanted education, they could get it at no cost at all, no, no cost. Um, uh, as long as the regulators would let you go to work to get it before you were age 18. Yeah, well, that, it had a high school degree, right? Well, well, that, you know, the government. That, that there's the problem again. Um, uh, regulation and, and legal requirements uh, uh, of all these sorts of things really skew the whole process. But I mean, education and and uh, what what is called uh, legal education that, that that's a whole different story. Just like uh, organic food. Uh, today, um, uh, you can't use that word organic uh, anymore because government has uh, deemed, uh, they've determined that they now have the right to uh, define what that is, and you can't, uh, organic is now owned by the government. That word is owned by the government. You just can't put that on your food labeling uh, unless you jump through a number of hoops. And, and for example, uh, Joel Salatin with his Polyface Farm, he can't call his food organic, even though it is grown by better and, and safer standards than those uh, that the government uses for organic. So what he says is, my food is beyond organic. And now he can legally say that, but he can't, he can't put organic on any of his labeling. I mean, so, so that goes for education or anything else. Government really ruins um, regulation. It ruins uh, definitions and ruin, ruins words by, by uh, taking possession of them and dominating them. I mean, look at the word um, terrorism. I mean, that, that's grossly abused by government. I mean, it, it just means anybody who's against us is a terrorist. Uh, in many, in, that's, a, that's a word they should take ownership of, huh? What's in all that fucking word? <laughs> well, I, I've been terrorized by government on many occasions. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, yeah, that, but uh, I think I was wandering on my answer there. Um, I, that. The, uh, the, the good question earlier was uh, how I came to my interest in history uh, based upon um, or, or in, um, in liberty based upon my interest in history and background. Uh, but that, that's kind of uh, – I gave a little bit of an explanation for that. And I will mention that if anybody is interested, I'll be doing presentations that you can come and hear for the next three days down at Jamestown on the island about how uh, this country began uh, and uh, – uh, it was an entrepreneur by the name of uh, John Rolfe, who happened to be married to Pocahontas, uh, who, who married Pocahontas, um, and he was the guy who witnessed the uh, failure of socialism there, uh, socialist uh, ideas, and, uh, called the uh, the common storehouse idea, 
um, he witnessed it and saw the transition to private property ownership by the common man, and things began to get better. And and uh, and then the uh, the introduction of a, a cash crop, which turned out to be uh, tobacco, uh, as promoted by this fellow John Rolfe, was the thing that caused the English to stay in North America and not abandon um, the project because they were losing money. And thus the parliamentary system, which only the English had, was planted in the uh, dirt at Jamestown long before the pilgrims landed in, in the uh, northern parts of Virginia, as they called Massachusetts in those days. So the, I'll be telling that story over the next uh, three days at, down at Jamestown on the island, not the Jamestown settlement, but on the island. Wonderful. That, that's yeah, great. wonderful. I wish I was there. That sounds like a fascinating uh, show. I mean, it's just so much it's un, unimaginable lessons in history uh, presentation, just like that one right there. People walk in there for any reason whatsoever, and they walk out with so many more ideas that can help them. They go forth in their life. It's awesome. Well, so. One of the things I've found is that um, history is, is uh, our friend. Those of us who have a, 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 a fondness for liberty. Um, it's, history is our friend. It, it does not argue against us. Uh, it is the very best argument for us. Um, if you look at, at history deeply enough and, and consider all the costs and consequences of actions and so forth, history is, is the very best argument for liberty that I have ever seen. I mean, uh, it's not my enemy. Uh, when I'm trying to promote liberty, it's not my enemy. It's my best tool. Why do you think that so many schools don't want to teach real history? They don't want to teach economics, and they don't want to teach civics. They want people to be dumbed down and not question anything authoritarian and the power of the omnipotent state. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, now, there, I think as was mentioned earlier, there are some very good teachers in the government system. Of course. Some very good teachers and, and good professors in university. And I'm, I'm not saying that all of them are bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that the, the, the deck is stacked against those people because it is a system that is going to uh, – it has a built-in motivation to be politically correct, whatever – that correctness is at, at a given time. Uh, it, it, political correctness uh, varies up and down, left and right, you know, this way and that. It changes over time with, uh, with whatever ever the political values are. But um, um, there are good teachers and and professors within those systems. Um, so yeah, but for the most part, um, and I talk to educators all the time about this. I've worked with the Smithsonian to. to train teachers uh, uh, to teach history. Uh, Smithsonian's a government agency, I know, but they're good people there, too. Uh, I, I don't look at at uh, people as good guys or bad guys. I, I look at people as doing good things or doing bad things. Uh, there may be some very good people who are misguided, and uh, if they knew the, the reality of what they were doing, the costs and consequences of all the things they were doing, they would change their ways. A lot of... A lot of uh, People you might call bad people, in in fact, are good people, and they just don't know um, everything they need to know. Yeah, that is true. Uh, 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 but is, uh, so. if there, 
By the way, right. if, Checking them out. 
Yeah. And and then a couple of uh, – since Joe was kind enough to invite me to talk about any and everything, a couple of things that I, uh, I, I wanted to mention also were what is another thing that is local. Um, there is a group – Joe, I didn't mention this to you, but there is a group in the Richmond area. Uh, it, it's really a Virginia group. It, it, uh, people from all over the state come to it. It is the second Tuesday in each month second Tuesday in each month in Richmond, and it, it's a meeting that takes place from 10 o'clock to noon, um, and it is kind of like a, it, it's a network. It's called the Tuesday Morning Group. It is a network of, of uh, uh, conservatives, hardcore libertarians, objectivists, uh, Republican Party members, Tea Party uh, folks. Um, they, it is a loose – it is not a political party – it is a loose organization of people who share basically an interest in private property rights, the free market, uh, uh, Second Amendment rights, uh, and those sorts of things. Um, it, it is not a place where we libertarians go to yell at the conservatives about how bad they've been or, or this out of the other. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a place where we fight. It is a place where uh, we put those uh, differences aside and and decide to inform each other and work together on projects uh, that we uh, agree upon, and and it works. It is fabulous. I've been going to it now for I don't know ten years or so, but it's every is Tuesday this the group morning at the, at the Westwood Club. That's it, uh, Joe. Uh, now it is by. Um, okay. It is technically by uh, uh, invitation only because they 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 don't want uh, they really would not want to have the meetings broken up by people who uh, are are uh, hardcore socialists or or somebody else who, who wants to come in and make a a, a, a fuss uh, and, and and waste everybody's time. Um, we're there to do things in a positive manner and to cooperate and move forward on things we agree on. And it, I, I will say it's been an exceedingly useful coalition uh, that's been – it's associated with uh, something called the Virginia Institute on Public Policy. You can look that up too, Virginia Institute on Public Policy. It's also associated with something called tertium quids or – the third way, uh, which is, uh, is uh, I think, a, a reference to uh, John Randolph of, uh, of Roanoke, um, who uh, was uh, – was, uh, he felt Thomas Jefferson was not libertarian enough. Uh, so uh, so, uh, so tertium quids, uh, Virginia Institute for Public Policy, and uh, the Tuesday morning group, um, if you have an interest – I highly recommend it. I go to it uh, as often as I can, and you will you will learn things about projects that you would have an interest in. Um, Libertarian Party members are there. Uh, Republican Party members are there. If if a person is a, is a Democrat and they're for individual liberty and and the free market, they can come too. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's uh, like I say, that's for invi- uh, by invitation only too. And if they would get with Joe, I can I can put them in touch with the right people. Sure. That, that's another one I wanted Just to mention. Right into the show, and and we'll be happy to hook you up with Dick. And uh, another thing I think that's timely that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and um, as a historian, I've been thinking about this now ongoing uh, centennial of uh, 
uh, one of America's most uh, uh, awful wars. Uh, all wars are are difficult and awful, uh, and and deadly and hurtful and destructive. But some are worse than others, and I think the First World War is probably one of the worst in American history. I think if we'd not gotten involved in that, um, um, many things would be different in the world today in a better way. I don't think there would have been a Second World War, but that's a you know that's just a, 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 a guess. But well, there's, there's a there's book. Mr. Mr. Pines that's agrees not, with you. Say again. Yeah, it is. That, that, that's a pretty safe catch. If we hadn't gotten the world involved in World War One, there wouldn't be a World War Two. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. obvious, right? <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> no, but I, I'm not just saying. I'm not just saying. You know, I'm not just saying. You know, as a matter of, of uh, semantics, but I'm saying for real. It's clear that the reason it came about was because of the, the harsh thing that World War Two came about because of harsh. Uh, uh, put on World War One. You know, the Germans suffered. As yeah, yeah, you know, I think you can track the the origins of the Second World War to the Versailles Treaty that ended the First World War. The Versailles yeah. Treaty it, it screwed Germany. Uh, uh, it, 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 it unjustly, improperly put all blame upon Germany, which, if you look at the case, was was not r- real. It was not that way. And and a book that I would highly recommend. Um, uh, now I admit I have not yet read it, but I've I've thumbed through it. A friend of mine loaned it to me, and it's going to be one of my next uh, reads. But it's called America's Greatest Blunder. And there's a if you want to look that, that up, you you do have it. I have it, I read it, and I highly recommend it. Burton Yale Pine. Uh, uh, so, so um, Joe, you recommend it to me as well as my other friend recommending it, right? Correct. I think you should read it um, tonight. <laughs> America's Greatest Blunder dot com is is uh, I think the the site for the book and um, and I I've just been thinking a lot about the First World War uh, because of this anniversary that that we've got right now. One of the characters that I portray in uh, the Living History programs that I do, uh, uh, like I said, I, I was going to be John Rolfe down there talking about uh, Jamestown, but. Uh, another character that I do and I've done uh, out, uh, for the Freedom Library out in uh, Arizona is uh, is a guy who's got a famous name, but who is guy? He's father. Uh, it's Charles Lindbergh Sr., not the pilot, but his dad, who was a congressman uh, uh, during the time of the First World War. He was an opponent. Uh, of Woodrow Wilson's, he he uh, vigorously opposed the creation of the uh, first uh, of the uh, Federal Reserve Bank that that helped to finance that war. He opposed America's entry into that war, and uh, I think uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh Sr., uh, who was uh, a congressman, Representative uh, Lindbergh, was one of the uh, uh, great prophets of, of political prophets of the day. Um, and um, uh, he's one of the characters that I, I present as well. I shed a little light on that period of time from his perspective. Wonderful. Um, and, and then one more thing that's that's really off uh, 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 off the trajectory here. That's really uh, kind of unusual. And uh, but I mention it anyway because I learned about this from a couple of libertarian sources. Um, 
Uh, are you familiar with LewRockwell.com? Yes. Uh huh. Are you familiar with LibertarianNews.org? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yes. Uh huh. Well, both of them independently came up with something, some articles on on a new theory of science that um, I think uh, is uh, amazing. These guys, these are physicists and electrical engineers and and biologists and chemists and and, uh, uh, geologists and all kinds of different scientists. They're coalescing around a new theory that is uh, uh, very possibly going to uh, displace um, Albert Einstein. Um, and uh, Nikola Tesla's work plays very uh, deeply into this this uh, theory. Um, you might uh, look up uh, on either libertariannews.org or rockwell.com um, electric universe theory. Um, uh, there is a YouTube video um, that is entitled Thunderbolts of the Gods, which is an hour-long uh, introduction to the theory. But it is provocative, and lots and lots of libertarians are being drawn to it because uh, these are scientists who are not government-funded. Uh, these are uh, they are doing their own independent research. They're not locked into a static, uh, inflexible theory that's based upon mathematics, and um, they they've got a new home uh, in this theory, uh, and um, uh, there are a lot of libertarians among them. Uh, but I, I thought for sure when I discovered this, I don't know, five or six years ago, that it could not be accurate and true, and I've been trying to disprove it, uh, uh, you know, casually, but I just haven't been able to because it's so predictive. They're, they're, um, they're talking about things that uh, later become uh, observed facts, um, uh, you know, based upon uh, space uh, exploration and missions into space, but that uh, it's called the... Electric Universe Theory, Thunderbolts is the name of the project, Thunderbolts Project, Thunderbolts of the Gods is that video that will give you an introduction to it, and libertarians are flocking to it like uh, like crazy. As I say, I heard about it on uh, LewRockwell.com and uh, LibertarianNews.org. Um, Thunderbolts it, it, of the Gods. Yeah, yeah that will give you an hour-long video introduction, and it has – that's probably, I don't know, eight – Eight or nine years old. It's a little dated now, but and they've they've gone so much further since that time. But um, but that'll give you a good background in what they're talking about. And um, I hope one of these days to get to go to one of their conferences because it deals with history as well as um, science. Believe it or not, they they try to explain some of the uh, petroglyphs uh, in stone that have been carved by ancient people on every continent. Uh, resembling each other. I mean, they're almost identical. You'll find these petroglyphs that look all the same, and you wonder why in the hell is that? Why, how could this be? And these guys have a scientific <laughs> explanation uh, for it. They said ancient people all saw this shape, and they re- they recorded it because they saw it, and they thought it was extraordinary. Um, it has to do. It relates to a theory that that came out in a in a book. Um, a best-selling book back in 1950 called uh, Worlds in Collision by um, Emanuel Velikovsky, a, a, a Russian scientist uh, that was very provocative in his day. But um, it, it, it's really it's worth looking into. Uh, it, it really is an amazing theory, and uh, uh, you'll see if you go to libertariannews.org and, or lewrockwell.com and, and um, 
do a search and read some of the articles on them, uh, you'll see why libertarians uh, uh, are kind of attracted to the way they approach science. Um, it, it's not government science. It's not uh, – uh, you know, when you, when you pump a lot of money into something, it tends not to change very much <laughs> because there's a vested interest in, in, uh, in staying with the pattern. Joe and I know somebody who fits that description. Is that right, Joe? Well, yeah, and you had a you got into it with her on Facebook one time, Dick. I think you remember that young lady. Oh yeah, I won't mention any names. I think uh, right. I do, uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, boy, yeah. That, she thinks a lot of herself. Um, she's she, she, she uh, she's uh, a legend in her own mind. I think uh, her middle name is spelled H U B R I S. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> that, uh, I shouldn't have said that, should I, Joe? No, you're spot on. Hey, look, let's, let's change. Hey, change the subject before anybody figure out who we're talking about. That's all good. <laughs> well, anyway, th- those were some of the topics that I was uh, hoping to to. To chat briefly about, I I, I can, appreciate. Can, can, ask you a couple, can, can we ask you a couple of questions about uh, current topics in the news? Sure, uh, not that I have any any uh, particularly useful insights. Healthcare reform, Rand Paul's bill. Uh, what what should happen? How you feel about what did happen? And who is the leaders in the Congress right now that made it happen? Well, uh, uh, I, I think. Uh, what was put forward by the uh, Republican uh, uh, speaker and so forth, I think that was a travesty. I, I, I think that <laughs> that really, really uh, was embarrassing. Um, I don't think it did anything to severely uh, uh, alter the situation. My view as a hardcore free market guy is that the market um, and the invisible hand that Adam Smith talked about uh, uh, are the best way to have a an effective consumer-oriented uh, um, healthcare system. Uh, I think uh, licensing of doctors is wrong and bad. At least government licensing or, or uh, uh, licensing that that is related to government. I know that uh, uh, medical associations do that, but they are, they are supported by government and, and what you can call yourself as a doctor or not. I, I think. Um, uh, all of this uh, arena is heavily regulated, and the reason that we have the problems um, that we have now is because of licensing, regulation, taxation, um, uh, subsidies, uh, redistribution. The, the, all of those things have corrupted pharmaceutical industry and medical industry and everything related to this whole arena. So I, I would like to see a, a, a totally free market in in uh, healthcare delivery um, uh, and insurance as well. I don't think what um, even what Ron, uh, Rand Paul uh, was proposing uh, is perfect, but it's a certainly it's certainly a, a much better alternative than than what what Obama put in place and what was first introduced or offered by the Republicans. Also, um, a friend of mine um, uh, who is a a brilliant uh, uh, physician, doctor, um, by the name of Dr. John Lanzalotti, came up with a market-based plan, 
Uh, and you can look it up on the Internet, too. If you look up John Lanzalotti, Dr. John Lanzalotti, and I think it's called the Jefferson Health Plan, um, uh, you'll, you'll find access to it there. It, it's not perfect either because it doesn't provide an absolute free market in, in, uh, in uh, medical issues uh, and, uh, services and products. But, but it is also a very uh, um, much better market-based system than, than what's been offered. It, it's really sad. I think um, it, it's almost like a government o- operates almost like a ratchet. Uh, it goes one way, uh, it, it clicks, and then you click it again, and you click it again, and you click it again. It only turns in one direction. Uh, if you get a uh, reduction in government, it's it's a small and, and minor thing. You're very lucky to get something like that. Uh, once in a rare while, you get a deregulation or, or some law removed, but that's, that's the exception. Um, the rule is more government and more government and more government. I think, um, uh, who was it? Uh, that said, uh, there's, there's a wonderful quote that I like, that government uh, always increases because the um, the benefits are concentrated and the costs are diffused. In other words, those who are going to benefit from a regulation or an increase in government are in a uh, they have a, a high motivation and, and incentive for making it happen. Those who are going to have to pay another three cents a year, uh, they don't care. There's no great incentive to uh, to, to fighting it, um, and I I think that is very true. Government always grows because the uh, the benefits are concentrated and the costs are diffused. Um, you mean that, capitalizing the gains and socializing the losses? There you go. There you go. I mean that 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 it's just the way it works. Um, I, I, that doesn't really answer your question too much about the uh, health care system. Uh, and okay, Obama- well, let, 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 me throw, let me throw one more thing at you all that, on that before we go because I know we're running out of time, Joe. But, yeah, you know, I just want to say one most- thing, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, before you, yeah. before you ask your question, Andy has joined the program. So after you ask your question, I want to give him a chance to say something to Dick before we go. As a historian, how important is decriminalization to solving the health care crisis that we have? Decriminalization of the plants, at least. You know, let, if you want to regulate something, regulate the uh, synthetics. But if you just decriminalize the plants, people can take care of their own health. Absolutely. I, I am a, a real advocate for... Uh, decriminalization of of, of nature <laughs> in every way, <laughs> shape, or form. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm totally uh, in favor of that. Uh, uh, I'm I'm uh, one of the people who kind of likes homeopathic uh, uh, remedies and naturopathic uh, remedies and so forth. If I can avoid taking a pharmaceutical, I, I would prefer to do that because I know about the the costs and uh, you know the the consequences sometimes of. And the side effects of taking pharmaceuticals can be pretty severe. Um, uh, part of going back to talking about my wife Patty's uh, interest in healthy food, it's the same general arena that we're talking about what you put in your body being natural and healthy and uh, and not corrupted and so forth. Uh, Patty has introduced me to some uh, some uh, remedies that are not pharmaceuticals that work great. That I mean, I, I was stunned. Uh, talk about natural uh, in, uh, products. Of course, uh, marijuana is often talked about, but 
um, uh, you know, the, the story of the, the three kings uh, uh, bringing gifts to, to uh, uh, Jesus as a baby, the, th- the, the three kings brought gifts. Well, what were those gifts? They were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, frankincense is in your uh, uh, health food stores. It's, uh, it goes under the, the name of Boswellia, Boswellia serrata. It is a natural remedy. It is, it, it, it's a, a pain re- reduction method that's been known for thousands of years. Um, it, it works. You won't see any advertisements for it because nobody will make a lot of money uh, on it. It's a natural product, and it works. Um, uh, Arnica is another one. I, I took that stuff the other day for uh, some back pain, and, and I was shocked. Um, it, it, it works. I mean, um, yes, natural things should be decriminalized. This, uh, uh, I, I'm totally in favor of that. Even, even yeah. raw milk. So, <laughs> raw milk. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy, we'll we'll give you an opportunity just to say a few words here before Dick uh, goes. Um, if you have anything you'd like sure. to add. I just, uh, Apologize for missing uh, earlier. I had some technical difficulties, unfortunately, in terms of a, a phone that wasn't fully charged. But um, you know, I just, I just, instead of you know taking the risk of repeating any questions that were already asked, I just say with a lot of these um, you know, health remedies and stuff, uh, Milton Friedman made the point that the, if anything, there should only be regulations for safety, and the, the FDA should get out of the efficacy. Business and a lot of these things, you know, I'm more skeptical about. But I agree entirely that they shouldn't be banned. Um, that if you know people want to experiment and try to find something, so long as as you know, that, so nobody's sneaking little poison into into stuff and hurting people through fraud that way, then um, you know, even if some of this stuff doesn't work, it should absolutely be your right to try it and. Believe I mean I don't I don't believe in transubstantiation either, but I would never have the government regulate communion wafers. Uh, <laughs> Andy, I think I think you're you're right on that. I, I think that's that's a very good uh, way to look at it. Um, and I was thinking of a point that I wanted to raise. Uh, maybe I can find it, get it back really quickly here. Uh, doggone it. Um, it! It flew out of my head. I, I agree with you though that uh, oh I know what it was. I wanted to mention a friend of mine who I've known for many years, uh, uh, Dr. Mary Ruart, R-U-W-A-R-T. Oh, yes, I encourage you very well. Uh, yeah, uh, Mary is a brilliant uh, doctor. She uh, has uh, many excellent presentations. She's written uh, a great book. And, and if you have not seen her um, presentation on the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, it is something you should see. It is a brilliant um, uh, uh, description of what they do and how they uh, they do it. She was a pharmaceutical – she was in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But Mary's got – again, she's the authority on this particular issue um, about uh, the FDA's um, uh, benefit or, or cost. She, she makes the argument that the FDA has killed more people than it has saved by far. And, uh, I don't. That's, that's true. I mean, I'm a I'm a diabetic myself, a, a juvenile diabetic. I'm on an insulin pump, and I wrote an article for the National Party a couple of years ago now about how 
basically the FDA has delayed improvements in the technology that could have saved thousands of lives potentially. And each year they delay, that's another however many thousand people that preventable deaths. Absolutely. Um, I, again, I'm not the authority on this, but uh, I would highly recommend uh, Mary's arguments, uh, which I have read and, and I agree with. Um, uh, it, we always look at the good intentions of a law, a regulation, uh, a, a license, uh, a, a subsidy. We look at the good intentions, and we don't look closely enough at the costs and the consequences that are not often visible at the top. When you consider all of those costs and consequences that come from regulation and law and licensing and taxation and, and, and subsidies and, and uh, redistributions, when you consider all the consequences, government is a, a, a liability, not an asset. Oh, it, it is more frequently a liability than an asset. Uh, um, uh, and Mary makes far, that case. Many, many times over, yeah. Yeah, Mary's yeah. a uh, – well, well, Yeah, I, I just want to uh, – before we let you go, Dick, I did want to mention that if you are in the Richmond area on May 2nd, Tuesday, May 2nd for the Patrick Henry Supper Club at the Robin Inn, uh, Dick is going to be there to talk about uh, – I'll, I'll, I've got a great title for it, Liberty and Food. And he discussed a lot of that on the program tonight. Uh, when he was talking about Joel Salatin and Polyface Farms. So he's going to be there to do a live presentation. So if you like his voice but you want to see what he looks like, this is the place to do it. Oh, so, no, you don't um, want him to, 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 to see what I look like. That will scare him away, Joe. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but actually, actually, I'm going to try to, to uh, wrangle my wife, uh, Patty, into coming uh, – and, and sharing that presentation with me because she's the authority on, on that issue and and uh, uh, she does a brilliant job and she's she she's reluctant to to get out there um, in public sometimes but I'm going to try to make her. Okay, well uh, that sounds good. Um, we certainly enjoyed having you on the program tonight and if you're interested in learning more, um, you can find Dick on Facebook under the name Richard Cheatham. So um, feel free to contact him to learn more or come by the Robin Inn on May 2nd and hear him in person. So, Dick, thanks for coming on and and, and uh, filling us in on all uh, the stuff that you had to talk about tonight. It was very informative. Well, thank yeah, you. thank you for joining us. And I want to say you're, I've been friends with you on Facebook for a long time. And most everything you put up there, I don't know if you respond, but generally most of the stuff you put up there is very, your reasoning seems very sound and, you know, you're not just throwing a bunch of crap out there. You you participate in good discussions with people. I can also well, vouch for that. He's one of the most thoughtful uh, commentators. I and he's nice. He's opinion. not mean to people either. I mean, he really put up with a, a lot of crap from a certain woman. <laughs> who Joe and I know, and he was very gracious, and you know, she she ended up, you know, throwing out ad hominem attack, ad hominem attacks long before. Oh, look, I used a big word, but she ended up throwing out ad hominem attacks long before anybody else did. 
Well, uh, Jeff and Jeffrey and Andy and Joe, I, I really very, very much appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on and visit with you guys this, this evening. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I uh, wanted to bring a few thoughts and ideas uh, to you. I hope some of them uh, turn out to be useful. Um, um, and, um, again, Joe, thank you for suggesting it in the first place, and uh, I hope to see you on uh, the 2nd of May. Okay, sounds good. Thanks again. Have a good evening, sir. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thanks again. Thanks. All right, bye bye. Well, gentlemen, before we uh, get going, um, now that Andy's here, uh, we can actually talk about the issues with somebody who knows what's going on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Andy, what's your insight for this week? What's going on? Um, my insight is to not get caught away from home without a phone charger when you have a scheduled thing you have to call into. Um, wow. <laughs> True brilliance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, um, well, well I uh, up or not, but I'll go ahead and mention it. We have the, um, the LNC, the National uh, Libertarian Party Committee meeting, Pittsburgh this weekend. Um, they elected the platform, uh, some members of the platform committee and some members of the bylaws committee. The others will be appointed by some of the state parties, including, by the way, Joe Virginia. I'm going to have to discuss that one. Um, but anyway, I was elected to the, the bylaws and the platform committee um, at the national, by the national committee this weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm more excited that we're going to have uh, – the last-minute surprise application to be on the platform committee was uh, Professor Jeff Meyerman, who is uh, one of the senior economics professors at Harvard and is the uh, head uh, economics guy for Cato, was also Gary Johnson's chief economic advisor. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, and we also, had some, we also had a couple other Cato folks and some think tank folks, academic folks, putting in applications and stuff, and so that was all that was all uh, very good, and I felt very good about the uh, outcome and who all else was elected uh, to these to these committees. So that'll be going in. These are these are the committees to handle uh, the drafts for platform and bylaws uh, that'll go before the 2018 convention um, in New Orleans. So we're you know, with all the other mess that's going on, we may get into that if you want, but uh, I thought that was a bit of good news. Uh, and even though I might be biased, I rather like the result. Oh, yeah, I, I imagine you would have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, we already we already discussed um, the biggest bit of news that happened over the weekend. Um with the Libertarian Party endorsing the um, oh, right. Church of Satan. Hail Satan. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, 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 so, hmm. well, well did, did you see my co- did you see my comment earlier about um, Mr. Shipley saying that um, you know there are people in the LNC that want to spend donor money to hire someone to make sure this doesn't happen again. And he said, we don't need to do that. If the LNC would just do their job, this never would have happened in the first place. 
Well, yeah, if the LNC had done their job, that's what they would have done is hire or at least appoint a volunteer position to oversee these things. And I mean, you know, I think everybody kind of gets, I, th- I mean, everybody, I think people were kind of talking past each other. I think everybody in the party both gets what it was trying to do and why it didn't go over well. Um I think the bigger problem to me here really is the lack of there's no messaging and communications strategy. There is no communications director. There is no social media manager. It is this ad hoc, everybody do what they want to do group of a couple dozen volunteers, which I'm one of, um, kind of posting as they please, and it's all over the map, and it doesn't get good results and I mean I really disagree with the idea that this party can save money by getting volunteers to do stuff for free because you get what you pay for. Volunteers don't care about fundraising. Volunteers don't care as much about negative consequences to membership and vote totals. And that's not because I'm not saying any of the people don't all the people involved including me have good intentions but it's it's just not best practices corporate governance, and I feel very strongly that the LNC needs not just its. I mean, the LNC, the full committee itself, shouldn't be doing this task either, and uh, trying to micromanage it. But they need to create, just like, for example, Carla Howell, who's now leaving. Part of her job was publishing LP News. That's part of what it was in her job description, and she was the editor, and she got that put out, and we all we all love our LP news when we get it in the mail. Um, but we have to think of, I mean, in the year 2017, we have to think of social media as a major asset and crucial thing of the party. It's not an afterthought. It's not a trivial thing that, oh, whoever wants to do it, we'll just let them do it for free. It's it's the cornerstone of it's the most visible way the party interacts with people on a day to day basis. Um and I think in the meantime, Nick uh Sarwark, the chair, is going to the national party chair, is going to exercise kind of a more active role in that, if that's good, and I trust his judgment on these things. Um, but that's not a long-term solution to have, well, I guess the chair will do it because there's literally nobody else. Um, so, I mean, I think they've, they've talked about hiring a new press secretary type position. I mean, I think it would be broader than that. They need a communications director and they need, they need clear and direct change of accountability and somebody who's actually responding and posting to things as the party under the party's name, that needs to be somebody who's meaningfully and directly accountable for the quality they produce. And frankly, the National Party's Facebook page has not been well managed. It's not been done. You know, they post way too often. They post like 18 Andy, a day. Andy, is, like, is, this an yeah. attack, is this an attack on uh, on Nick? Are they attacking Nicholas, no, or is it just a general thing? Is it like a general thing that people it, are bitching about? This is, a, this is a system that predates Nick, and he's done his best to work with them. I and he comes into our, our little, I'm in this group. I'm not attacking anybody in the group or their motives. It's just a bad system. 
um, that we have set up right now for how it's how it's controlled, and it leads to bad results. So we have low quality posts. We're not maximizing our reach. We're making basic errors, um, and I think it's because we have this just kind of ad hoc volunteer group of a few dozen random people who don't really clearly report to anybody. Who it's not clear who, if anybody, has the authority to decide who's in or who's out or anything like that. It's just... It, it, All right, it's, I watched uh, our old friend Mike uh, Shipley. I watched Mike Shipley do a live thing today talking mm-hmm. about uh, about the, we don't need a whole new bureaucracy. We've got... Uh, we had a fail. We had a failure of performance, not of system. Yeah, no, this is a systemic failure. I could not disagree more strongly. This was not just one mistake. This is the most visible example of a system, systemic problem, which is that the current bureaucracy is not well-structured and is not, I mean, for God's sake, it's embarrassing sometimes. Um, they just local, I mean, like we'll, we'll post some crappy meme with a stupid typo in it that we got from some like random a county party page out. So it's just, it's not, I mean, if you, I mean, I run a lot of big Facebook pages. It's not the only one I've been involved in. I know what works and what doesn't. And you're supposed to post three to four times a day. You're supposed to have this healthy mix of what types of things you post. And, and, and you don't, uh, you review things for quality. I mean, we just, uh, it, I'll be honest, it's a matter of low quality. And that's the, polite, on-the-air way, I'll put it, posts being made, and a lot of them. And most of them aren't offensive. Most of them aren't controversial. They're just not good. I know. Okay. I I mean, I get you. You're going big picture on us. We've been trying to run this guy, Mark Montoni, out of the Libertarian Party for a while now. And uh, he called you out the other day. Huh? No, nothing. Go ahead. And so he runs. He he calls you out by name, and uh, and and it says that there's some kind of problem with with some movement. And I'm assuming it's a regulation movement. But can you respond to what Montoni said the other day? I have not seen what Montoni said about me. I, I don't he didn't know. say anything negative I, about you, but it was something about this. It was like he was going to quit again. You know what I'm saying? Of course, he always is about to quit. <laughs> but uh, you might get uh, the, you I, might get the final honor, the coup de grace, so to speak. You know, the matador. I but, see, uh, that's nice. I didn't even. I mean, I've heard Joe talk <laughs> about dealing with him there, the Virginia party, some, but that's about all I know about the guy. I don't follow him. Or I would. I would not. I would not know what he's had to say about me. <laughs> though, though, you know, I take it as a granted that being out there visibly public, involved in, you know, debates in the party and commenting on stuff, that there's going to be some, some ticked-off people out there. But, uh, yeah, it goes with the territory. He's an anarchist. Yeah, well... He's an anarchist, and he believes that anarchy should rule the Libertarian Party. 
Yeah, that's I mean, and, you know, I mean, I mean, as an anarchist, I mean, if you're really a true believer in anarchy, I guess we should say that's the way it should be. But that's that's a tall that's a tall step for someone who knows something, uh, Andy. I mean, you got a degree of political science like me. It's hard to go full ass <laughs> anarchy when you know something. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm skeptical of and not don't generally agree with the anarchist libertarian claims that is what it is. Um, well, you know, you know uh, I was I was I was saying something um, tonight to Dick Cheatham on the phone before we had the the show um, because he was telling me that he liked. Nick Sawarka's chair and how he's good at messaging and we were talking about Nick Sawark but another person that I think falls into this category is Frank Gilbert down in um, Arkansas and um, one of the things that I said about Nick and about Frank is that they have a way of communicating some ideas that maybe Mark Montoni and um, D- Daryl Perry and some of those others believe, but they say it in such a way that makes people like Andy Craig and Joe and Rusty and Jeffrey Sanford and Jeff Webb not want to turn around and run. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's, that's you know that's part of the thing is everybody wants to make everybody wants to try and make. Everything, this kind of, oh, are you a, a radical or a moderate or, or, you know, are you a hardliner or a pragmatist or, or whatever? Um, that's really not the issue. I mean, Nick's, Nick's an anarchist, as far as I know. He's not super outspoken about it, but mm-hmm. I, I, I believe I'm correct about that. Um, and But, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a matter of professionalism and effectiveness. Whatever, it's not an idea. It's not a, not everything's an ideological fight within the party. Sometimes it's it's just a matter. Of, it's a fight between the people who get stuff done and the the ones who you know are stuck with some old way that doesn't work so well. And that's not you know that's not whether or not you're an anarchist or, or whether or not you're you know how radical you are or anything like that. Um, you know it's. You have to you have to go and and meet the voters where they are. I mean, we're a we're a brand, we're a consumer driven brand, um, and we have to think of ourselves that way. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not for profit selling something for dollars uh, system. It's you know trying to go out there and get votes and elect candidates. But that's it's still the same thing. It's the same marketing principles that apply, um, and you know, there's a, a lot of amateurism in DLP, and that's, you know, it, we're a volunteer-driven organization, and that's great, and that's important, that's inevitable. But uh, I think, I mean, you know, people talk so about... So is the oh, Republican Party. So is the Republican Party. So right, right. They're, they're volunteer-driven. Yeah, they're so volunteer Democrats. And, and and people want to you know the, I I'm really a little bit offended by this idea of oh they're going to spend they're going to waste money on social media when I mean let's let's get real here the LNC pissed away ten thousand dollars on John Moore in Nevada before the only vote he cast as a libertarian was for a taxpayer financed NFL stadium for the Raiders in his district 
and then, you know, ended up that being a big mess. They spent like five grand on some historical preservation to make sure they've got all the copies of the LNC minutes from 1979. Um, you know, we have a, we have three or four or five, I don't know exactly how many it is, less than a half dozen or so staff members who do various things, all of which are important. But this is important. I mean, the I, 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 I think it's crazy. No brand, no business that had revenues the size the LNC has and that had a customer base much less the size the LNC has would be spending a budget line item of zero on their social media management. That's just mm-hmm. crazy. Well, do you know what I think it is? I, I, think it's, I think it's two things going on here. I think one of the things is, and I don't know if this is specifically related to Mike Shipley or well, and the guy, I like Mike Shipley. He's been on the show. I mean, I met him at the convention for the like first Mike time in person. Yeah, but my, my, my thought is that there's, that there's two things going on here that they're worried about. One, they're worried about if we hire somebody, it has nothing to do with the money. If we hire somebody, they may not approve certain things that have gone through before that I like. And I don't like that. And the other thing is, if we hire somebody, how do we know who they are? And they could be a Republican trying to get in and screw with the party or a Democrat. That, that is easy enough to solve. Because oh, wait, no, no, you just, one more thing, Joe. One more thing, and I don't want to interrupt. I'm just saying the other option is they don't want to lose the, 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 the power. Have we fired somebody over this? Somebody lose their, 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 their passcode credentials? No. <laughs> And, and, well, here's the other thing about it. Like, even so, okay, even if the party insisted, all right, this is going to be volunteer, I mean, like in the state parties, according to the model that the national party is itself pushing, um, you would have a clear, it would be a position. It would be, okay, it's a volunteer unpaid position, but it would be, all right, Jane Doe or whoever is the social media manager. Um I, you know, I, I, I keep making this point because it's it's so true that I don't think I could diagram the current activities of the Libertarian National Committee on an org chart if you held a gun to my head. Um, it's just, it's a mess. And this has nothing to do with ideological disputes. This is a matter of best practices in corporate governance. But have we got enough money to, like, to go that way. We have strong enough leadership. I mean, you know, uh, well, my problem was like, we're, 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 we're volunteer-driven all the way to the top except for Nick. Well, no, Nick's volunteer. He doesn't get paid. Um, uh, we have some staff that do get paid, but Nick, that, Nick doesn't get paid as the chair of the LNC. And, oh, yeah. I remember. You're right. Um, but, so, I mean, yeah, it's just I mean, and people have made this into an attack on, you know, an attack on Nick, too. And, look, I was in the group, and I, I don't like to – it's supposed to be a closed-door group, so I don't like to go telling stories about the discussions in it. But Nick said this himself, so I'll say it again. He was the one that made the decision to pull this, and he didn't see it ahead of time um, when it was scheduled. Uh, and I was also one of the ones that, uh, you know, I, I said, I said, right, we think we should pull it. It was his decision. Um, 
Nick's got a very solid head for communications and marketing. I mean, Nick's. I mean, I think it's so secret here that we all we're all pretty big fans of of Nick. Um, I mean, this is this is not about you know not uh, Nick's not doing his job right or whatever. Um, I mean, this is a broader issue of the committee and the way the organization is set up. Um, and Nick's not a dictator. He doesn't have a you know magic wand he can wave and and shuffle everything around, even if he were so inclined. And I don't know if he is or not. But like, I mean, a lot of these decisions have to be made by the full committee or even uh, at conventions, um, which gets into some of the issues about bylaw. I mean, that's you know we'll get. I, we haven't even started any business yet. We don't have the full committees appointed yet. But the bylaws committee, I think, is definitely going to consider. Um, you know, putting social media and the Facebook page and the Twitter account uh, under the same type of standards and uh, control as when we do a mailing or, uh, you know, when a letter from from Wes Benedict gets sent out or uh, we send mail out the copy of LP News. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we have to think of it in those terms. And that doesn't mean... Uh, killing off volunteer input and we're not going to take input from volunteers or we don't want anybody volunteer. It's nothing like that. We can mm-hmm. absolutely still have and keep all this, this great, dedicated input from these group of people who want to contribute, but there needs to be a filter on it. There needs to be somebody who makes the decision about what to post, who makes the the mm-hmm. overall big picture management decision about how often it goes and that sort of thing. Um, and it's just, you know, that that's the system that needs to be put in place. Um, and so I, there were some, a few problematic proposals that were, put before the committee over the weekend and they got voted down and a lot of people were offended they got voted down because, you know, that means the LNC did nothing and there's no excuse for that. They should have taken action. But um, the proposal, one of them was a simple proposal to put its staff, and the problem is they don't, I mean, the staff they have already has their workload and that's not clearly, so there wasn't any real, that wasn't, uh, hadn't been fleshed out enough. There was this communications marketing firm that put in a bid to supposedly do it. And, I mean, I don't know. what I've seen a better bid that was put in by somebody else. wasn't cheaper, but it was a hell of a lot better um, to the party. And I don't know how exactly that decision was made, that this one group's proposal got presented and the other didn't. The one that got presented was shot down because it, frankly, was not credible. I didn't find it credible when I went and looked at their proposal, um, and I wasn't convinced. I'd never heard of these people before. Um, they've not been involved in the party to any degree that I know of, and, and they also weren't professionally experienced in but uh, so that was say, uh, not to interrupt to get in. I hate yeah, yeah. You. But my question is, what about the um, the actual merits of the meme that got posted, as far oh, as attracting attention, 
effectiveness and garnering some attention? Did we get any national media attention out of it? I mean, was, uh, did it well, work? Would, did we get clicks? I wouldn't call it national media. There was a bunch of clickbait blogs that attacked us for it. Um, I don't. I don't. I think the effect was was mostly negative. I mean. The intent, obviously, was innocuous. It's all right, we'll have this series to celebrate freedom of religion where we quote all these different religious texts. Um, and frankly, there's some complications with the fact that the group they quoted is, like, not a religious, serious religious group. They're like a political activism and satire group. So that was that was off. And the, the biggest problem was that the, that context wasn't clear. So if it had been posted as, for example, an album with a dozen of these pictures and like a slideshow that it was, you know, all of them or whatever, uh, or if the text on it had made clearer that this was part of a series, yeah, okay, maybe. And I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I mean, nobody wants to say, you know, that group's bad, we're going to categorically exclude them or anything like that. I think the I think there was a misunderstanding on the part of the people who made the meme and posted it in that context of what this group actually is. So just for reference, the group they quoted is called the Satanic Temple. And this was a group, a political group that was that does lawsuits. Like they were founded back when George Bush was doing the faith-based initiative to things. Um, when there was the Ten Commandments monument at the Oklahoma State Capitol, they're the ones who came in and sued, said, well, we demand our Satanism monument. And it's firmly tongue-in-cheek, satirical, to make this their pro-separation of church and state kind of group. They're not... As was, as was the whole thing. Well, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish, please. They're not... LeVay. <laughs> They're not. These are not the what people think of as actual religious Satanists. These are not the church of Satan. They're not the Satanic Bible. Um, they're not. They're not. They don't do goat sacrifices or anything like that. So there was a lot of misunderstanding about what this group actually even was. Um, but. I, I don't think it was a good idea. I think the basic premise of the whole series, even if they hadn't done the Satanism one, is a bad idea. And the reason I think it's a bad idea is because it's not our place as a secular organization to tell anybody what their religion says or means or commands. Um, you know, I will I will argue with the Pope's politics. I'm not going to argue that I'm a better Catholic than the Pope. <laughs> you know? No. I don't like the point of of taking these religious quotes and kind of implying, well, if you believe in this religion, then you have to or should be a libertarian on the terms of that religion. That, that's waiting way outside of my comfort zone for what we should be doing as a secular, purely strictly secular organization. Um, I wonder how many. I wonder. I wonder how many libertarians actually even believe in Satan. I would be interested to know that. Uh, the National Party actually did a poll. Frankly, I thought this poll was a bad idea, and they got people. Most of them just left. No, no, no. We got well, no, they, left. A, they all left. Well, they did a poll um, on the National Party website of religion, and the and the basic takeaway from it is there is a large, much larger chunk of libertarians who are atheists than the general population. It was something like thirty or forty percent, I think, was the result they got. 
Um, what about people it. who are just unaffiliated, who are like either agnostic or just don't care? Yeah, that was one of the options too, and that was also larger than I might have been lumping those in when I spent thirty forty percent. Um, but I mean, there is a I mean, libertarian. There are a lot of religious libertarians. There are a lot of devoutly Christian groups, and I know a lot of them. And I absolutely. Um, but I think as a group, on average, libertarians, for whatever reason, are less religious and maybe a little more secular. They're more secular, mm-hmm. and they're a little less sensitive to how this comes. Some of this stuff comes across in the real on the world. If you're trying to get votes or talk to people on the ground in Alabama or, you know, concert rural Virginia <laughs> or Indiana, whatever, you know, uh, they're not going to they're not going to care about your high minded point about well how actually the Satanic Temple is an advocacy group that does political. I mean, like they're not going to care. <laughs> hmm. They're going to run screaming as soon as they see that, and so, and there's no there's no necessary like libertarian point to do. That's my point. It was it was needlessly offensive for no real gain or trivial small gain. Uh, if we had never posted this in the first place, and if we had never done this series in the first place, nobody would be attacking us for having not done it. Um, and, and one thing, I, one I thing I would like to suggest is that uh, it did me a great favor because I didn't even know what it was till today, but I heard him complaining about it. About you know making an offensive religious joke around Easter, so I was up. My son and I were listening to uh, Tupac do "To Live and Die in L.A." I remember they called him the Prophet, and so I said, "He is risen. He is risen indeed." On my Facebook page, y'all go like it. I love this. And then I said, <laughs> "The the Prophet." And then I said, "Hashtag the Prophet. Hashtag Tupac." Oh. And, uh, oh, no, and I, I'm a devout Christian, Christian, but I know Tupac was a prophet. If you listen to him, he was awesome, man. So I was like, wow, that was a great sort of inspired my own little uh, rebel Easter post, well, you know. And, and, and there's something mm-hmm. to be said for that. Uh, and that's the kind of thing I wouldn't I wouldn't think twice about is posting myself under my own name as a joke to people. I would not probably publish it. To a quarter of a million, you know, three quarters of a million people following the Libertarian Party's branded page on Facebook, um, and that's another problem we have here is we have a lot of people posting stuff that it belongs on their personal wall, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's it is it is what it is, and I'm optimistic that you know there will be change. I'm very optimistic that we have Jeff Myron and we also got Joe Hinchman on the uh, bylaws committee and Josh Katz is on that. He's going to be the interim chair. Um, and a lot of other people, I don't really get to I'll forget names and not, <laughs> but there's a lot of good names. There's five, five people, including myself, elected to the platform and attend to the bylaws committee. And it was a very good But message. congratulations. Congratulations are in order. Yeah, good job. I was honestly congratulations. I was very, very, uh, very pleased and kind of surprised uh, I did as well as I did. But um, there's a lot of good libertarians on there, and I, I feel, you know, this is to me, this isn't an ideological fight. This is a party that's growing, having to overcome its amateurism, and that's. 
something, you know. I mean, that's in a way, that's a good sign. We've outgrown a lot of these old methods and old ways of doing things that worked when the party was a lot smaller than it is now. Um, and so, you know, that's that's just going to be kind of the growing pains uh, of it. And, and I get the frustration. I mean, a lot of people have gotten very emotional and very frustrated over either this or some other failure or screw up of the national party. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I share those frustrations, but the, that I could, there's so many other cases I could point to also where people were frustrated by that, but then they channeled that into showing up and getting organized and taking over their state party. And, you know, in some cases kicking out the, the, the malefactors who'd been mismanaging things and they really turned things around and, you know, there's always that potential here, too, in the party. And a lot of people are talking about, you know, they, uh, something happens while I'm leaving or, you know, the party's hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel it really just does take that that degree of, of getting in, involved and playing a lot. But then I go around and I push ideas and try to change things and, and get involved to do what I can to uh, to turn things around. And so... That's that's mm-hmm. where I think uh, a lot of the activity needs to be, particularly as we're in the middle of state convention season. Here this next weekend, we've got our state convention coming up um, in Wisconsin. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's you know, two steps forward, one step backward, maybe. <laughs> if we're lucky, it's that ratio instead of the other way around. Yeah, judging by recent activity, you know what I'm saying? It's been two steps forward, one step back. Uh, the only question is, is um, our long-term health. I mean, you know, I mean, we, I go from thinking we, we're just going to all the all the true loving, freedom-loving Americans, whether you're Republican or Democrat, are coming to us. On one day, I feel like the Libertarian Party is going to have this huge influx and growth, and then the next day, it seems like they, you know. Everyone's turns around and swoops to loving Trump for bombing somebody with the Moab or something like that. They're like, can we compete? Will we ever be able to? What's the role of our party going forward, dude? Hmm. I I I honestly don't I don't know. <laughs> um, that's part of the trial and error and figuring out. Um, you know, that's one of the things we'll be considering on these committees for sure is where we go from here um i don't know it, it depends but i'm going to be involved and i'm going to be doing what i can uh, you're well, doing that's a great good. job Andy. i do appreciate it and uh i appreciate the way you just keep coming back with answers but if you can't drop a moab on afghanistan i don't think you can compete <laughs> yeah, <at> least, uh, <laughs> afghanistan least, yeah yeah they said it did a lot of improvement. It did a lot of improvement for Trump's thing, just like uh, the other deal with the Russian, uh, just like when he um, when he bombed Syria. I mean, Russia. It's Russia's uh, base in the Mediterranean. Um, they got uh, a lot you, of you know what, positive. You know what somebody said, said to me the other day? They said um, Trump's... Um, Throwing, sending the rockets to Syria and dropping the bomb on, um, uh, what do you call it, 
on um, Afghanistan is a small price to pay for all the good things he's done since he's been in office. Oh, I love that one. I saw that on Facebook. How stupid is that? Huh? Mm. <laughs> well, all the great stuff anyway, he's accomplished. Yeah, so... Um, Anyway, well, gentlemen, gonna, I need to get ready out. to get in bed. I've got a big day tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna head out now because I have things to do. Andy has things to do. Jeffrey has things to do. <coughs> so um, we will do it again next week, and I think we have a good guest coming up. But I'm gonna confirm, and then I'll let everybody know. So you guys have a good night. All right, you guys have a good night, too. Great job, man. I really loved uh, loved, uh, old Dick Cheatham tonight, man. That was a great play. Yeah, he's really a good guy. He puts a lot of good stuff on Facebook. Anyway. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming back, Ed. You're the best interviewer on the show. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) Just sit back and watch him go. (laughs) All right. You guys take it easy. See you next week. Bye. 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 